0: How's everybody? I am, I'm okay, I think. I haven't said too much today yet, so all downhill from here, right? Hey, we're, uh, by the way, my name's Alan. Welcome to Greater Alton if this is your first time with us. I am the uh, substitute preacher today. Yeah. And unusually, uh, I am going to be starting off a brand new lesson series. It's a lesson series called Getting a Grip. It's kind of common vernacular, right? Getting a Grip. And what we're going to be talking about is really some basic things, some fundamental things. Now, these lessons are primarily going to be for those that are already convinced that Jesus is king. For those that have some sort of a faith and want to get a better grip on Jesus and how to serve him. Although we also hope that there's some things that if you've not made that decision, maybe you'll hear something that'll turn on a light bulb for you. Something that will get you interested. Because following Jesus is where it's at. It's the greatest thing ever. Now, the first couple of lessons that we're going to do is going to be getting a grip on Jesus. Then Gary's going to follow that up with looking at getting a grip on his message. And then getting a grip on the moments that he provides for us. So my task is to talk for the next uh, few minutes about getting a grip on Jesus. And I thought the best way to get us all looking in the same direction so that we come at this from the same angle and get the most out of this, is to maybe start off with, I think, a deeply spiritual video that'll, that'll kind of tee this up for us and kind of get us right in the right vibe so that we can take this a little deeper. If you would, gentlemen.
1: Supper's ready! Come on, y'all! I've been slaving over this for hours! Dear Lord, baby Jesus... Or as our brothers to the south call you, hey Zeus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them, and of course my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone cold fox. Mm. Also, want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Notton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, uh, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. That i odd not putting to pray to a baby. Well, Look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Your tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat bald up fist, pawing. It was them. a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finished, Grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says like I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party.
0: I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai.
1: I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up?
0: Yes, ma'am. You know, the reason why that's funny is because I've sat at tables where that was kind of the image that they had of Jesus, and I've seen prayers that kind of went that way. You think these guys had a, had a grip on who Jesus is? <laughs> I don't think so either. So So far we've made progress in this lesson series, right? What is their major problem? What's the the thing that's holding them back? They're more concerned with their preferences, too many targets to mention. If I was going to narrow it down, it's because, and, and, and what's not so funny is that this happens all the time people tend to want to get a grip on the Jesus that they want to be real rather than the Jesus that is real. You know you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had somebody who tried to relate to you based on what they thought you were, who they thought you were? Whether that was they had you on a pedestal or they thought you were somebody that you really weren't. You ever had that experience? A couple of years ago, I was working with some of the young adults and there was a young couple here and they I noticed that they were avoiding me. They had their arm out and they were stiff arming me and they were saying, yeah, we like you, just stay over there. And uh, eventually they, they uh, asked me to, to do some premarital counseling with them. So I got with them for a number of weeks and somewhere along the line they started to relax a little bit. You know, their shoulders dropped, they started talking a little more freely and then one of them said, you know, we were told the wrong thing about you. I got to be honest with you, I really didn't want to be around you. I, and the reason being is because we were told that you were the meanest guy in the church. And, she, and, and the wife says, yeah, and I want you to know, there's at least two others that are meaner. So it wasn't true. How do we get a hold of Jesus? See, the thing is, is, the reason why we want to do this series is because if you don't have a grip, you aren't going to get any traction. That's the reason why Tim picked out this logo. If you don't have a grip, you're not going to get any traction. If you don't have any traction, you know what's going to happen? Stagnation. How many of you guys, honestly, I'm looking for a show of hands, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you guys feel like you're just spinning your wheels? Like you're not really going anywhere. If you're not there now, have you been there before? Yeah, all of us have had that experience. Well, what's the difference between spinning your wheels and moving forward? Anybody drive on snow and ice? You've got to get to something solid that you can get some traction with, and then you can move forward. And the reality is, is in this crowd this morning, there is a mixture of people, and this is probably true in every church, there's a mixture of people who have a grip on the real Jesus, and they are getting traction, and they're moving forward. And I know many of you, that is an accurate description of And I know this morning I'm talking to some people that don't have a grip on the real Jesus at all. You've got a grip on the Jesus you want to be real, but not the one that the Bible has told us is real. Man, that's like trying to grab a hold of thin air. You're not going to get anywhere with that. And I know some of you guys have been there so long. I mean, some of you have got a grip on the real Jesus, but you've got it so, you don't understand him real well. And so your grip is loose. It's not tight. Well, if you don't have a tight grip on somebody that's moving, what happens? You get pulled away. You can lose your grip. And all of a sudden lose Jesus. If you stay in this situation for long, you know what happens is called stagnation. Again, I would ask you, I don't want to see us show hands again for the same reasons. How many of you guys feel like your faith is stagnant? It's not going anywhere. It's routine. I go to church. I sing a little. Bow my head when they pray. Throw a little money in the plate. Try to show up for small group. But it just seems like ritual. If you're there, then I hope that over these next few lessons that we're doing, that you will get some traction. That you'll find yourself beginning to move out of that. I, I grew up in southern east, southeastern Illinois. Uh, Danny and Tim were roughly in the same neck of woods that I was from. And what would happen? Yeah. By the way, my hometown got hit with a tornado the other day. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Well, what would happen about this time of year every year is the, the waters would rise. And the bottomlands, the lowlands around the rivers would always swamp out. You ever been around swamped out land? Well, for a while it swamps out because there's so much water that it can't move. But then the, the river crests eventually. The river starts moving again. And the water recedes. Except for you'll find some different pockets of water that get trapped. Whenever you see these pockets of water, and the reason why I'm talking about this is because I think this can be descriptive of us sometimes. If the, the, the hole is shallow, then the water will stay there until the sun dries it up. When the heat turns on, it's gone. It evaporates and you just see the parched earth where it used to sit. I've seen this happen to too many brothers and sisters. They were shallow. They were shallow in their understanding of Jesus. They didn't really have that tight grip on Him. And they settled for not having a grip. They got stagnant. And then when the heat came on, they're gone. You guys know people that have been there, aren't you? Don't you? Maybe it's happened to you. I know other holes that I would see that had water. They would be much deeper. And the water wouldn't just evaporate and go away. What would happen is it wouldn't move. It would stay right there. And all kinds of things would fall into it. And you know what that looks like, right? You get that green stuff that grows on the top. And it stinks real foul. And nothing good will grow in it. If an animal drinks out of it, it'll die. That can describe some people that go to church too. You don't want to be either one of those, do you? I know I don't. But it's, it takes some effort. It takes a decision not to lose traction. It takes some effort and a decision to do some things to get that grip on Jesus, that traction, and to fight off stagnation. So, where do we begin? If we really want to get a relationship with Jesus, if we really want to get a grip on him, probably the best place to begin looking at this would be from some examples of people who got a grip and some people who missed that grip. So, I'm going to take you to Matthew 16:13 through 14 Actually, we're going to read a few more verses, and the next couple of lessons will keep coming back to this verse so you're going to get familiar with it. It says uh, in Matthew 16:13 and 14. It says, "Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" It's a fair question, isn't it? Who do people say I am? He's talking about himself." And they said, "Well, some say John the Baptist." Others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, were one of the prophets. The people, by and large, got it wrong. Most of the people, what they were saying about Jesus was wrong. It wasn't the real Jesus. And I had to ask myself, how did they miss it? Why would they give these answers? Just to give a little bit of insight into where they were coming from. There was a group of people who were misled because all they accepted about Jesus was what somebody was flipping their lip and saying about him. There was a guy named Herod. Herod was the one who came up with the idea that this must be John the Baptist. Now, I don't know what made him think this is John the Baptist. Jesus and John were cousins, and they often were seen together. So I don't know why he would think all of a sudden Jesus is now John the Baptist. But apparently some people were believing it. They were buying it. I'd say that's not a loose grip. I'd say that's a missed grip wouldn't you the next thing that they said that people were saying was that he's elijah this one i kind of get because in malachi the prophet malachi wrote and said elijah would come whenever god brings his kingdom and starts what he's going to do elijah will be sent first but that's a very poor reading of malachi and there's more than just one verse in the bible that speaks about jesus who he would be who the messiah would be they didn't know his name was jesus They just knew that there was going to be a Messiah. How many people have got a wrong grip because of bad Bible teaching? How many people have grabbed onto just a popular version that someone spun by looking at only maybe one or two scriptures about Jesus rather than all of them? I think it still happens today. It happened then. Lastly, and this one I I had to dig into to kind of figure out, why did they think it was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was a prophet and Jewish tradition. Not the Bible. Jewish tradition. In other words, what church folk got to saying about it, and what they kind of passed on as the real thing, but it was just their tradition, was that Jeremiah had taken the Ark of the Covenant out of the temple and hid it in Egypt. And that whenever the Messiah would come, Jeremiah would come back and bring the Ark of the Covenant. How many people have no grip or a terrible grip on Jesus because of the traditions of their church. So what we've just looked at is we've looked at this whole dynamic of what do people say about Jesus? How did they get to these, how did they miss Jesus? You realize that for thousands of years they'd been reading scriptures that were telling them about who the Messiah would be, what he would look like, and what he would do. And yet they couldn't identify him. They couldn't recognize him. So I was starting to try to figure out well how did they miss it? Because maybe we can miss it in some similar ways. So I look back at John chapter five or John yeah, John chapter five, yes. Sorry. And we're gonna look at a chunk of scripture here, we're gonna take it apart just a little bit at a time and look for how people miss this grip on Jesus and they fail to get traction in their relationship with Him and with God. We're gonna look at chapter five, verse thirty six through forty four. It says there in verse 36, the testimony, this is Jesus speaking, the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. He is condemning them. He's saying, you don't have a grip on me because you don't understand what I'm doing. And he believes, from that, don't you get the the impression that he believes that they should have identified what he was doing? They should have been able to recognize it. Why couldn't they recognize the works that Jesus was doing? I think it's because they expected the Messiah to work on their kingdoms, not God's. Okay, let's bring it home. How many of you guys are here because you think that God is going to provide you the things that you're looking for? Is your grip on Jesus about the Jesus who is the genie in the bottle that works for you? Are you here because you want your better life now? Your best life now? Is that who you think Jesus is? If that's what your concept of Jesus is, you're not going to understand a lot of the things he does. Like why he would let a man that he loved, a rich young ruler, walk away. I personally have been criticized because I've let people walk away from church. My reasons were the same. If you don't understand Jesus, you may not understand the people who are trying to act like him. I don't get it right all the time. I want to be really clear about this. But we can get critical of Jesus if we don't understand what he's really working on and what he's really doing. Okay, let's look at another one here. Verse 37, next verse. He says, and the father who sent me, he's testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Catch this. He says, you do not have his word abiding in you, living in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. What's the second problem that they've got that results in them getting no traction and not having a grip on who Jesus really is? They do not have the word of God in them. Okay, do you? These people went to church all the time. They read the Scriptures all the time. Why didn't they have the Word of God in them? Maybe because there's a huge difference between reading the Bible and applying it. Sometimes we read it for all kinds of reasons other than learning how to have a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we read it not thinking about applying it. Whenever you read a chunk of Scripture, are you asking, so what is the thing here that I'm supposed to apply? And if you do that, do you go and do what it says? Maybe you don't have the word of God living in you. If you don't, questionable what kind of grip you're going to be able to have on him, isn't it? It messed up this crowd. It'll mess up any crowd. Verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. This is the classic forest for the trees can't see the forest because there's too many trees in the way. They're reading the scriptures and they think just by reading them, just because I functionally read them, now I have life. Our modern day equivalent is the same. We can add to it coming to church on Sunday. We can add to it going to a small group. We can add to it a lot of different things, thinking that those things, those mechanisms, those... What would we call them? the, The program. The machinery, that's where we're going to get our life. That's not where we get our life. He goes on, he says, it's these that testify about me. Why, why should they have been able to recognize Jesus? If they had been reading the word of God and applying it to themselves, they would have recognized that he's doing what the Messiah was supposed to be doing. They would have seen him. He says, and you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Then he says, I do not receive glory from men. Boy, isn't that the truth? Verse 42, though, he says this, But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. So what's the third thing that they did wrong? They didn't really love God. Have you ever thought about that? Do you really love God? I mean, there's a difference in there between loving church and loving God. Loving religion and loving God. Loving what God can do for me and loving God. What's the difference? Well, do I really want what God wants? You know, one of the big problems with the prodigal son story, what Jesus was pointing to, is the father had lost a son. And the older brother didn't much care about what the father deserved. He was bugged. Let me give you another tool you can use. Anytime you are more focused on what you deserve than what God deserves you got to question whether or not you really love God. Is that simple enough? I'm hoping to give you some practical things that you can really put into action today and every day. So this crowd, what have we got so far? They uh, They didn't understand that Jesus was working on God's kingdom and not theirs. They didn't have the word of God in them. And they didn't really love God. And then he comes to this. Verse 43 says, I have come in my Father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, in his own name, him, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? What was the fourth problem in this passage that Jesus is pointing out? The things that they were doing Their motivation behind it was for other people to pat them on the back. was for other people to notice it. By the way, this is what happened to the Pharisees. I don't think anybody starts out thinking, I want to be a Pharisee. I think it happens to us. How does it happen? Whenever you do something for Jesus, legitimately and good, people are often bound to pat you on the back and tell you you did a good job. Congratulate you for it. Ladies, any of you that did lessons this past weekend, did someone pat you on the back and, and tell you, man, that really helped, that was really good? Did that feel good whenever they did that? Well, here's where the problem comes in. We can sometimes just want to look righteous so that we can get that kind of an approval from other Christians or from other people more than we want to actually be righteous. There's a huge difference between looking righteous and being complimented for looking righteous and from actually being righteous. And i got to tell you the truth. In my experience, actually being righteous doesn't get you a lot of pats on the back. Not, not from you guys. Most of the times where you guys are ticked at me, it's because I'm trying to do what God said. And I'm showing you the scripture and saying, I'm marching to his tune. This is what it says, and you're still bugged at me. If I was after your approval, I'd be talking different. And I wouldn't tell you when you're messing up. I wouldn't call you back to Scripture. I wouldn't beg with you and plead with you about getting traction. This comes down to your motivation. You want to grip on Jesus. You're going to have to look for God's approval more than people's approval. And it's hard. Nobody likes me. i got bite marks all up and down me. I'm not the only one. There's a lot of you guys that get slammed and criticized and bad things said about you, and you're doing the same thing I'm doing. It just kind of comes with the territory. Are you willing to be bitten? (laughs) Are you willing to take the blows that Jesus took? That's part of taking a good grip on him. But if you just like being popular, if you find yourself saying things, whenever you see a, a situation that's wrong, and you find yourself saying things like, I don't want to get in the middle. You just took a, a, a little bit of, of your grip off of Jesus when you said that. You realize that, right? And so you're going to start losing traction. You keep on with that attitude, you'll end up in full-blown stagnation. And it just doesn't take much when you get got a loose grip on somebody that's moving. It doesn't take much to pull them out of your hand. I used to be a cop. I can tell you all kinds of cop stories where I didn't have a good enough grip and it went bad. I won't do that today because I'm already at 23 minutes and I gotta get cooking. Okay, so of these, of these four things that I'm pointing out, how that the, the contemporaries of Jesus, how they missed him and, and didn't get that grip on him, of those four things, can any of them be said accurately of you? I'd like for you to take this seriously and in your small groups or in your families or if you don't have anybody to talk to, just get alone with God and ask Him to reveal to you, is one of these four messing with your grip? If you see yourself as not having any traction, if you see yourself as facing some stagnation, man, please, start with these four and be honest because you don't want to stay in that situation. Okay. Matthew 16, we're back to our, our original passage here, and we're going to wrap it up. Verses 15 through 17, Jesus came back with a the, with the great question. He had just asked him, who do people say that I am? And he had heard their answers. And he says, but who do you say I am? Boy, what a pointed question. Who do you say Jesus is? Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, or Jonah. Bar Jonah just means son of. Son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Peter had a grip on Jesus because he saw him for who he really is. I did a... a in trying to prep for this, I decided to just try to see if there were any polls out there on the internet about what people were saying about Jesus. And it, it, it just didn't... I wasn't getting anywhere. with snake eyes, man. So I thought... ah. Facebook. I'll, I'll do a, a survey on Facebook. I'll just ask my friends. You know, I've got quite a few contacts in there and they're not all Christians, I guarantee you. So I'll just ask them. And they came back with all kinds of different answers. They, they, not a, none of them said exactly the same thing. I even went around in my neighborhood and around town and asked people that I knew were not Christians, people who openly professed to be atheists, and asked them what they thought. And you know what? There was a, a theme that I saw running through all the answers, Christian and atheist alike. They, by and large, said that Jesus was the man they wanted him to be. A lot of my Christian friends, he's my this, he's my that. And their their answers weren't wrong. But he's a lot more than just that. And it made me wonder how many of them are saying this about Jesus because that's what they've been told rather than that's what God revealed to them. There is a difference between just hearing about... Peter is the guy that's answering this question for Jesus. You know where he first heard that Jesus was the Christ? From his brother Andrew. But Jesus says, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. So somewhere along the line, Peter figured out who Jesus really was. And it was God who revealed it, revealed him to Peter. In the next couple weeks, what I want to do is I want to look at some things. We're going to stay with this passage and we're going to talk about how does God reveal Jesus to you? I mean, do you really want the real Jesus? He's more than you can imagine. I have been pursuing personally to understand the real Jesus and to get a better grip on him almost my entire life. I don't think I got him yet. I keep getting surprised. I keep getting surprised by Scripture by the conversations with others who are pursuing him. And it draws me closer, and it blows my mind and my imagination. I'm going to real quickly give you just a couple of things that that Peter found that probably made his eyes pop and his jaw drop. He says it so quickly that you can go by it without even paying much attention to it. Why? Because you hear it said all the time. But they didn't get to hear this said that much in his day, so this was eye-popping and jaw-dropping to the crowd around Peter. He says, you are the christ The son of the living God. Do you know what Christ is? Christ is just the Greek form of the word Messiah. I'm not going to spend a lot of time taking this apart, though we could spend weeks talking about each one of these. Christ means that he's king. He's Messiah. He's anointed to be king. Their concept of a king is a king is not the one who comes at your beck and call to take care of all of your wants and all of your wishes and to provide for you the life that you always wanted to have. Their concept of a king and ours should be, he's the one who gets to order us into battle. He's the one who gets to say whether or not I have to storm this beach. There is a war that's going on. Our king is waging a war against this world to bring his kingdom to this earth. We, if we're in his kingdom, are supposed to be fighting for him. And I know, again like I said earlier, there are many of you out here who are shoulder to shoulder and you're doing everything you know to do. You're being as faithful as you can be. The, the trumpet blows and you're there. But I also got to be honest to say there's a bunch of you that are AWOL. Some of you guys are AWOL. Because when the fighting to be done for the king comes up, you want to be back in the barracks. You want to make sure that your bed is soft. You want to make sure that your meal is hot. You want to make sure that your family's happy. Anything wrong with those things? No. But it's not a king that you've got a hold of. You've got a hold of an enabler, of a genie. Peter, whenever he saw Jesus for who he really was, he realized this is the Messiah. That means he's king. That means he's in charge and nothing else matters. Have you seen him that way? Second thing he says, he says you're the son of the living God. How many of you guys think that son of the living God means that God is Jesus' dad? don't, Don't put your hands up because I'm trying to fool you. That's the way that most people understand that term to mean. Is that this is, son of God means that Jesus is the son and God is the father and he with Mary and boom, Jesus. But is that what scripture reveals about him? Interestingly enough, this is not about paternity. Whenever he makes this statement about being the son of God, it's a statement about being God's image and ruling for God. How do we know that? Well, all throughout the Bible, sons are referred to based upon their image-bearing capacity, how much they're like. If you look at Genesis 5-3, Adam lived to be 130 years old. He became the father of a son in his own likeness. According to his image. Common language, right? Familiar language? Colossians 1.15, Paul said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The image. Son of God is about, he is the image of God. <laughs> Jesus himself said in John 14.9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The guys were saying, just show us the Father. You're talking about people who had never seen God. They knew he was there. They believed that he was there, but they had never seen him, or so they thought. And Jesus was like, come on. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The idea of being the king and ruling for him, being the firstborn. Do you realize that there was another son of God mentioned in Scripture? Anybody ever tell you about that one? Look at it over here. You'll find it in uh, Exodus 4.22. Back when Moses is dealing with Pharaoh, God tells Moses to say this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my first son, my firstborn. Sounds like the same kind of title that Jesus had. What's that about? you know what the, what the name Israel means? He rules for God, or rules as God. I'm saying these things, I'm trying to draw attention to it because I want you to know if you haven't heard these things before, I just want to give you just a, a, the tiniest little peek at how much more there is to know about who Jesus really is. It's more than you can imagine. It's better than you can imagine. The real Jesus is so more superior than the Jesus of rumor. He's more beautiful. He's more wonderful. He's more powerful. That's the lesson I've got for you guys today. Except that we're going to end on this. Who do you say Jesus is? It's what Jesus asked Peter and the guys, right? Who do you say he is? Is it the same thing that Peter says for the same reasons? Here's another way to come at it. It's the second question that's on your notes. Which do you have a better grip on? The real Jesus or the Jesus you want to be real? and the reality is there are only two options on that my friends who are atheists I just haven't found anybody that denies that Jesus lived there's so much historical evidence that even the staunchest critics admit there was a Jewish guy in the first century whose name was Jesus that we're still talking about they just don't think he's the Jesus that he claimed to be how much they have in common with so many Christians is amazing The question you need to ask is, do I have more in common with atheists than I do with disciples of Jesus? Am I grabbing on to the Jesus that I want to be real, who's my benefactor, or am I hanging on to the Jesus who's my king, who does take care of me, but is totally entitled to my entire life? So those are the questions I want to leave you with. Worship team, if you'd head up on up this way. We've been working on some new music with the worship team. I'm going to pray while while they're getting together, and uh, we're going to sing a brand new song for you. And the reason why we chose this song for this lesson is because the image of Jesus, I think, is in this song. The things that it talks about come straight out of Scripture. And my hope is, is that something will click, that you'll want to know Him more. None of us know Him well enough but that it will inspire you to take a stronger and deeper look at who Jesus really is. If you do, if you'll grab onto the real one, you will find traction. You will not find stagnation. You will find an amazing journey serving a king that is beyond our description. If you would bow and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We don't understand nearly enough about who you really are. But Father, we want to. As, uh, as we begin, this springtime is coming. Father, I pray that you'll flood, flood us with uh, a desire to draw into your presence and to grab a hold of the real thing. Father, help us to not make the mistakes of those that have gone before us and those that surround us. Father, uh, change us. Move us. Father, we want to be known. As a church, we want to be known for your presence being here. Churches get to be known by for all kinds of things. For their events, for their ministries, for their buildings, for their programs, for their singings. But, Father, all those things can be done without your presence. Father, we want to be a church that is captivated with the idea of being known for having your presence here. And that's never going to happen until we start at the very beginning of this, which is to get a grip on who Jesus really is. Father, help us not to be afraid of that. Whatever it would cost us to follow you is worth it times a million Father, I pray that you bless everyone that's listening to this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.